0: I got a secret for you. Turns out, if you just tell the truth all the time, you get better results. My name's Jeff Bajoric, and my career in sales has been a hell of a ride. And I want to bring you along with me. If you prefer to sell things at a premium, if you never want to win a deal on price, rethink the way you sell. Welcome back to the show. My name's Jeff Bajoric. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. Was that I mean, really a surprise? That secret I just told you, is that really a surprise? Does that shock any of you? Well, how come it doesn't happen more often? Today, I'm going to talk with my good friend, my brother from another sales mother, and I use that term with the utmost respect. Um, This is a guy that I just feel... Like we were cut from the same cloth. And uh, Todd Capone and I are going to talk about transparency. We're going to talk about how that works in the sales world. We're going to talk about how that works when you're leading a sales team. And he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience. We started by talking about how his dad was a wonderful sales role model for him. Uh, We talked about how transparency and vulnerability are often used interchangeably or should be used interchangeably. And we talk about how if you just tell the truth and create a culture and an environment on your team where the truth can be told, your results flourish. And it's not that counterintuitive when you think about it, but more teams need to start thinking about it. I won't hold you back any longer. Enjoy this conversation with Todd and myself, and I'll see you on the other side. Todd Capone, my brother from another sales mother. How are you doing, man?
1: It is so good to see you, my brother. And, you know, like we were doing a little prep call and we could have talked all day. Like, oh,
0: Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, look at the time. Um, Yeah, we better get this in. Otherwise, we're going to have to reschedule. So I'm glad we get to do this. you've been doing this a long time. Obviously, you've led sales teams, you've led companies to successful exits, you got into sales training for a little bit, you know, earlier in your career. Now, of course, you're writing like award winning best selling books two of the best books on sales I've ever read. And obviously, the transparency sale and the transparent sales leader, um, humbled that you're willing to just spend a few minutes with someone lowly, like myself here. Um, <laughs> what, what, what got you into this? How did you, get this whole career odyssey in sales even started?
1: Oh, man. Um, I remember I was in a marketing class at Indiana University when I was in college. And there was a woman that was uh, worked for the local newspaper. It was the Indiana Daily Student, which was the newspaper at IU. And she was basically selling to the group, uh, the job of hey, we need people to come in and sell advertising for the student newspaper. And I remember sitting there and I was like, you know, that would be a cool job, like versus working at Taco Bell or something. <laughs> and so um, I, I went and like I had like a TJ Maxx sport coat, um, like I put on a nice shirt. I got a little resume ready and I went in and I did the interview. And I remember the woman was being like, you're the first person that actually like took a shower before they came in for this thing. <laughs> like it was like the, the um, all like just the simple things made me stand out. You know, it really, though, started with you know my dad, um, who would have been 100 in August, which is amazing. Wow. Uh, I'm Like he was 49 when I was uh, born, so you could do the math. But, <laughs> but um, he was in sales his whole life. You know, the, the original I call him the original transparent sales leader and because I, I always felt like he did it the right way. Um, and I didn't know what the wrong way was, but he came home with a smile. His best friends mm-hmm. were the people that worked for him. He actually was the best man for one of his reps' weddings. And that rep was 20 years younger than him, right? So, like, that was the kind of career and life that he had built around sales. So the first opportunity I had to give it a shot, I took it. And when I graduated from college, you know, imagine entry-level sales jobs where you're up against 10 people that have no experience. And I'm like, hey, I, I didn't do the greatest job in the world, but I sold advertising to the, you know, local liquor store and the local Taco Bell or whatever for the the school newspaper. Here's what I learned. Here's what I know about sales and I want to make a career out of it. I got like five offers coming out of college and the rest is history.
0: Okay, so you might be the first person I've talked to, and not that you're the only person on the planet, but like you wanted to go into sales. You saw that as an opportunity. You had a good example set for you, and for you, was anything else even under consideration, or were you getting into college, taking your classes, your marketing and everything to prepare you for that career in sales?
1: Oh, no. I I was definitely not thinking that sales was the direction I wanted to go. Um, You know, the, the old joke. But i actually used it all the time that i had a face for radio uh i get you know, a voice for radio like i literally i thought that i was going to grow up and be like a disc jockey or something like that um because like i like to you know i like to talk i get pretty fired up about it uh i could have a lot of fun doing that so i went to college to um, get a telecommunications degree and that was still my intention when i graduated but there were no jobs to be had like the only ones i could get were like paying 18 grand a year but I can go into sales, make a bunch of money, and then figure out what I wanted to do. So it wasn't super intentional, but it was a great spot to go in. And from the first taste I got coming out of college, I was gold. I was, I was ready.
0: All right, so I'm doing math. Your dad would have been a hundred. That means he was born at a time when sales meant something different. And and you're the sales historian, right? So selling meant something different 100 years ago than it does today. And he would have come of age where he was exploring this kind of thing, late 30s, early 40s, so think and grow rich. Halloween friends and influence people like some of the classic 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 books and and, and works about attitude and the law of attraction and, and just like what you put out there gets returned to you in a business stand in a, in a um a contextual business standpoint I, was he reading that stuff was he into that stuff like what I, I, not to make this all about your dad I'm going somewhere with this but like what did um you know did that kind of a thing have an impact on the way he sold and thus a, a direct correlation on how you sell today.
1: You know, I don't really know other than, you know, he um born in 1922, he was in World War II, uh came out of that, uh he actually got a CPA, so he started in accounting and then kind of fell into sales. But I know like growing up when I first got into sales, graduating out of college, he had a collection of everything. Uh like newsletters, magazines, books on sales that he was constantly sharing. Every time I went over to the house, it was like, hey, here's this newsletter, read it. Here's something like he was a a nerd for that type of stuff, too. Maybe that's where I got it. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, when you really think, though, about what selling might have been like in the 1950s, the 1960s, he, he was selling corrugated boxes he would always get mad if you call them cardboard um like you know moving boxes and then he would sell boxes that were sold to like you know cereal companies for cereal box like all that stuff you know selling millions of dollars of boxes every year and he, you know he was no um he was one of those guys that was like doing the two martini lunches um like he would go to a lodge in south carolina with his customers and who knows what was going on there right sure. it was all like booze golf gambling and relationship building back then and like that was the foundation and it it worked really well for him and he was good at it i don't know what his methodology was i don't know what his philosophy was or what he read but i do know that uh you know the, the friends that he built with his customers and his uh his reps they were stronger than any other relationships that he had aside from our family
0: So you said he was the original kind of king of transparency. Yes. How so, and how did that inspire you? Well,
1: I always just believed that, you know, when when I I know where this is going, but uh, he was one of those guys that he always sold like him, like he brought his personality to the table. Uh, There was no fakeness about the conversations that he had, the relationships that he had, what he was presenting, the way that he was going about it. And like I talk about in the new book, w- when I first got promoted into sales or sales leadership, like I remember my CEO going, "Hey, Todd, you're no longer a peer to these people. Like you gotta, you gotta drop the hammer a little bit." And I right. was like, "That's not me. Like I can't do that." And we would argue about it. And I even addressed the team and said, "Listen, I- I'm no more important than you. We're peers. We just have different responsibilities. Yeah. Here's my responsibilities." here's your responsibilities, let's help each other, right? And like from that day one, that's transparency, that's you know being an equal to other people. And you find that those people that work for you, man, they not only respect you and trust you, but they wanna make your life easier too. The CRM gets filled up more often and more accurately, like, right, <laughs> they help you forecast, they're truthful about things. The minute that you can humble yourself to listen, You know, I'm not here because I'm awesome. It's I'm here because I've got a responsibility to help all of you. That second is when things change. And I realized, you know what? I could lead like me and have a really successful career. And that was the way that I always looked at my dad is he was always him.
0: Mm. That's so powerful because you, you talked about the the relationships he built and, you know, when you're the best man at someone's wedding and they work for you and they're two decades younger than you, I start to wonder if that guy, uh, you know, maybe needed a couple more friends, right? Like on the surface, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really, dude? wow. Um, yeah but but that just underscores the amount of respect that you build with someone in a mutual relationship that way right there's a give and take to everything and i mean every relationship does better with full transparency i know what you need you know what i need we're both it makes it easier to think clearly about what the other person gets out of that relationship and needs out of that relationship instead of having to guess and then when you have to guess you got to wonder if you're getting it right you got to wonder if they're hiding something for, from you um that's such an important model to have. And I think that's why, I think that's why, you know, the, the, the lessons that you teach, um, the way you talk about and live this transparency concept is so resonant with people because it's true. You know, you get this fire in your belly when you know you're onto the right thing, whether it's painful at the time or just the greatest revelation ever, like when you know something to be true, it feels that it hits different, like the kids say these days, right? And yeah. it, it sounds like you just had so many examples of that laid out in front of you. I did not have that from a sales standpoint in my family. So it, I'm just, I'm so interested and, and really intrigued um, by this environment. Not not to make this podcast about your dad, because it's about you, but, you know, <laughs> what, what, that's, I, I don't run into people very often who have these kinds of models um, to to grow up around yeah.
1: And, you know, it's funny that once you start believing in the way that you should be selling, um, you find things that support it. Clearly, it's um, you know, kind of like the I don't know if it's called the recency bias. There's, there's a term for it. But like, I started to see things that supported my way of thinking and have collected those over the years, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a study that I recently read in Psychology Today that was looking at all right, different management and leadership concepts how much do they correlate to employee happiness employee happiness another way of saying employee engagement Mm -hmm. when engaged high your team stays does their best and advocates for you and your organization right in this study the thing that was most closely attributed to employee happiness and the way they do these studies is if it's highly attributed like fully attributed it's a plus one if it has nothing to do with it it's a negative one and if it's in the middle, it's a zero, right? Mm -hmm. I would imagine that like randomly tasing an employee at work would be a negative one, right? Uh, Right. Uh, Transparency, as it turned out was a point 937. It was almost precisely attributed to employee. When a leader is transparent, your team becomes more engaged. And it was almost exact. And I was like, Yes, yes. Why aren't we? Why can't we be well, so many of us think like we're oversharing and what happens if we share too much? Okay, well, be a, like, don't be a dumbass, right? Like, think about <laughs> you know, where that order is. But transparency does not mean I suck. Transparency is about listen, we are equals. Here's my job. Here's your job. Here's the way that I think about it. Here's the structure that I use. Here's the things that I'm going to need from you to do my job best. What do you need from me to do your job best? Yeah, sharing right cards face up help your employees predict the future, especially in times of uncertainty, Mm. right? If you're not sharing and you're pretending like everything's great, and then all of a sudden they're seeing their buddies getting laid off from companies left and right, you're doing it wrong. Transparency, embrace the things that you know, share them. For the things that you don't know, embrace those too and go, hey, here's what we don't know. We can't predict the future in certain things, but we're gonna create a regular cadence for where we're gonna update you. Every two weeks on Thursday during our, our meeting, I'm going to share. Here's what we know, here's what we don't, so that you can predict. That's transparency. And when you've got that, your team will run through a brick wall for you.
0: Mm, for sure. For sure. When, when you know what to expect, you know, there's, and I've seen a bunch of posts lately, like, um, you know, the leader just randomly scheduling time on their rep's calendar no. without context. It's like, wait, what? Who does that? And there's no, I mean, it was funny. I was playing golf last week with a friend of mine and he's like, oh man. And it was a Friday afternoon. It's late fall here. Like we don't get days where it's like sunny and 70 degrees on a Friday afternoon. So yeah, a couple of us, yeah, we snuck away and we went and played and he, he's riding in a cart with me. He's like, oh man, I got the call. I don't know what it's about, but it's. You know, it's immediately the worst case scenario. He finally goes, takes the call at the turn, gets in touch after messages back and forth. Because when he called back, the the manager wasn't ready. And he's like, oh, turned out it was just fine. It was a good thing. Yeah, No big deal at all. Uh, And then he went and like shot 35 on the back nine or something, right? Like it was just it was one of these things where immediately your first inclination is this is bad. Because anything that is uncertain means this is going to be bad, especially when you're hearing from your boss. And just, if you would just act with consistency, with regularity, with transparency, now all of a sudden you don't throw your reps sideways, you know, and and, I mean, think about the interruption that that causes, not just to the golf game, but what happens if he sees that, what happens if you see that calendar request right before you walk into a big meeting? Exactly,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the way our brains are wired, right? We are prediction machines. If you're in the woods And you hear some rustling up ahead, your brain goes, That's a bear that's here to kill me. When it could could just be like a branch falls or a little bunny rabbit, right? Like that's what our brains do. There's a a study that I refer to in the book that talks about how your brain, like if you're really thirsty and you start drinking water, right, you will suddenly feel quenched. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that liquid is not actually entering your bloodstream for <laughs> at least five minutes. And in some cases, if you've just had a meal, it could be 40 minutes. Right. But your brain's like I'm no longer thirsty because we are wired to be prediction machines and our brains are wired for protection first and security. So when there's anything uncertain, it will always assume the worst. So be transparent when you're doing those types of things like card space up. Hey, we're going to have a meeting on Thursday. Here's the agenda. Right. laying out there. Those, like you said, the random meetings that are put on your calendar, our brains are wired to think I'm getting fired.
0: Um, That actually happened to me one time. I didn't get fired, but I got my territory reduced. I remember getting a phone call and I never got the phone call from my manager. It was always a text or an email and it was, hey, we need to meet tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> okay. And and I was the one that lived closest to him, geographically speaking. We were about an hour away from one another. And I said, am I getting called in the principal's office? He's like, no, no, everything's good. I'm like, okay. And uh, he sat down and he said, David starts on Monday. I'm like, who's David? I mean, thanks for telling me. Who's David? Oh, he's the guy that's now responsible for a third of your territory that you no longer have. I'm like, oh, wow. I thought no. this wasn't a principal's office visit, right? Anyway, it's just those, and so every time after that, because you know there were more times when it was like, hey, we need to talk. Oh, I don't even wanna go there now, you know what I mean? It just, it sets a tone for so much else. So what does it mean to sell like you? Well, in short, it means more pipeline. It means bigger deals that close faster and more often. It means more customer loyalty, so there's less churn. And it means a culture on your team where winning is expected and everyone's having fun. Now, if this sounds like something your team needs, go to jeffbajorek.com forward slash services and find out how I use this approach to help teams like yours create world-class results. Now, back to the show. Let's switch gears just a little bit. I wanna stay on the transparency part, but like, did you always sell this way? Or was this something you had to learn or just make a leap, you know, to to do? Now I know you said you had a great example set by your dad. Um, but I think there's this point in time during every rep's career where they decide that, you know, I can't do it this way anymore. I thought things need to be done a certain way, but this superstition no longer fits. Um, I need to either accept mediocrity. I need to get out altogether. Or I need to make a big change. So what did that look like to you? And, and when did that happen, if you can remember? Yeah,
1: I mean, I was always drawn to selling that way, but I always had leaders that didn't agree. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I mean, I remember at, uh, I was like, one of my first sales jobs was with a company called CA. It's Computer Associates, but we used to joke it was actually creative accounting since there's <laughs> a bunch of time in jail um, but you know I, I remember having a conversation with somebody and my boss standing over me put like pressing mute and going you got to get after him like yo no like and like coaching me as i'm on the call and like in my face on it um like that sort of thing and uh, i then went on to sap in the late 90s where we literally taught our tech guys the solution engineers kind of the pre-sales consultants that the answer was always yes customer asked like can you do this the answer is always yes that was our policy and what we taught people well wow. you move on to you know even further along where so many leaders are pushing this this philosophy that at all times you got to have 4x your quota in pipeline well what does that mean well that means you're going to keep your pipeline filled with crap right, right. you're not going to qualify out you're not going to embrace the fact that you know that deal that has no chance of winning. And as a result, you keep stringing it along in hopes that maybe they won't find out the truth and it will close. So as a result, I I joke, but I'm serious. I was always like a B, B plus sales rep. I was not an A plus sales rep, but once I really got the fever for all of this, I was able to coach people to be A plus sales reps by embracing transparency and what I always wanted to do. Right, and so I, I think that's really the progression I I always felt it was the right thing to do, but had coaches and managers that didn't feel the same way. So when I became one, that was the way that I was gonna do it.
0: Okay, so then the catalyst was when you got a new position and said, it's my way or the highway, essentially. Kind of,
1: right. It was when, when I got promoted back in 2008 from running basically sales operations for a tech company to, hey, Todd, we think you're ready, right? And I move into this role I'm like, I'm a kid, right? The whole team is older than me. Like, I was literally younger than the 26 people that were in my organization that were now going to be reporting to me. And I remember my CEO, who is awesome. Like, he is still like such the greatest guy and such a great coach. But like, we sat at a bar in like, Fremont, California together, talking about this. And he he was coaching me. He's like, you got to be more authoritarian. You know, you're like, everybody's buddy, that's no longer the case anymore. Right. And I was like, dude, I, I don't know if this is going to work then. Like, right. I don't know if we do that. And, uh, and my hope is to prove that to you. And you know, we were a struggling company. I think part of the reason I got promoted is, A, he had confidence in me, but B, it was a lot cheaper than the other VPs of sales on the market. <laughs> so it was like kind of a low risk. And if it failed, we were going down anyway. And so that was the approach that I took. And I'm still really good friends with a lot of those guys that were working for me back then, because I think I took that approach. And those guys still make fun of the previous VP of sales who was like, what's your commit? And you got outsold, right? Like that was his methodology. And my approach was, man, always bring the truth, guys. Like we can't forecast a business if we're feeling like if we were responsible for something, we're afraid to share that, right? If we lose, we lose slowly. We're never gonna get, where we want to go, if that's the methodology here, there is no such thing as the word commit anymore. Like throw that word out. Um, Because once you commit, I'm going to become the last person that you come to instead of the first thing, first person. We got to get rid of that whole concept and forecast accuracy went up, engagement went up, turnover went down, and the next thing you know, we're growing 400% year over year and selling the business to SAP in 2011. Okay. A lot of that was a true. I mean, I don't want to take too much credit because we got the rest of the organization's crap together. But I'm telling you, the environment matters.
0: Oh, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking is this concept of vulnerability, right? You can't be transparent unless you're willing. Look, you got to show your cards, too. Right. So that's that's really, really important. But um, you went from there's no such thing as a commit anymore to people eventually committing more than they were. And I don't want that to be missed by anybody Ah. listening right now. So let me, let's back this truck up for a second, hit the brakes. How did you go from, I don't want to hear what your commits are. I just want you to sell deals. And what was it about that switch that you flipped that caused more deals to, to to end up happening right now obviously the the conducive environment and culture and and all of that stuff but those are fuzzy terms like was there something specific or was it really just i mean i'll give you an out here i mean was it really just the environment you created was more conducive to everybody doing everything a little bit better or was there something there between like no more bullshit i only want real stuff but i know you're capable of real stuff was there something more tangible or was it really just a byproduct
1: well, it was, it was a, a substantial byproduct, okay. right? Like we brought in, we brought in value selling uh, as a methodology and mm-hmm. we just got our messaging straight, okay. right? We went from being a nice to have to being a must have in just that. So like put that aside. Okay. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I know that when we stopped committing and we started sharing and we started embracing why we were losing as a group. We started losing for the same reasons less, meaning we weren't making the same mistakes over and over when you create an environment where you've got commits and that if we lose, it's because you did something wrong. Then the reasons that you lose always happen to be the customer's fault instead of getting to the real truth around what's happened. So we can share, we can find commonalities. We can qualify out faster. We can focus our attention on the right opportunities better. And we can win more often and faster. So that, that in my heart of hearts, is always the value of creating an environment we're losing is, is cool. And by the time I got to be the CRO of Power Reviews, I took it to an extreme where we were literally doing champagne toasts for big losses, mm. which I know sounds crazy. But it created that environment where reps were like... Super humble and ready to share why they lost with everybody.
0: Well, no is a decision. And no is a decision that has good consequences and bad consequences. Obviously, the revenue or lack thereof is a bad consequence because you'd like right. to have that. Uh, you know, assuming that you did the qualification and you've, you've, you've vetted this as a, a customer worth bringing on. But that decision frees up your resources. That, that decision allows you to learn something, that, a mistake that you won't make again. And I wrote this down here. The best practices only work in the presence of the truth. Right. Transparency, vulnerability. It's not just someone else's fault. If it's safe, if it's a safe place for me to say it's my fault, well, we can all learn. If it's not a safe place, I'm pointing the finger at that guy over there and nobody learns anything. You can't grow. Right. And
1: I'll tell you, I just um, I did a, a full uh, leadership workshop for a client a couple of weeks ago here in Chicago. And one of the things that they started doing and uh, they started doing it before I came in was on Fridays, they would have their team meeting and they would give an award to the person that made the biggest mistake of the week. Well, wow. you know what that did is the reps would come and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm like I said this on the phone, like and they would, ah, ha, ha. they would write a list and they'd all vote on it over time, so now we're a few weeks out from that, they're finding less and less mistakes to joke about mm. because they're learning from them, right? Like they've created an environment where, hey, you're going to get a reward for making the big mis- biggest mistake, but you find that those mistakes don't happen over and over again. There's less of them as a result of the learnings and the fact that they've created an environment where these reps are like they think it's awesome when they make a mistake because it's going to make for a fun Friday afternoon sales meeting.
0: Um got an idea for you that I'll share after we're done recording. It's not worth taking up podcast time here, but I'm making a note to myself because this could be really, really fun. Um, it's just, I, I love digging into this stuff because you hear all these really interesting stories that cause you to get curious and dig a little deeper and learn something else. And that's very much, I mean, of course that's going to happen when you're talking to Todd Capone, one of the most curious, nerdy, the you know, neuroscience slash sales history slash just like you're just a good dude that's why i love it's talking the, to you it's never a dull moment when we're talking okay. <laughs> um todd thank you i really appreciate uh, everything you do not just for the sales community at large but uh you've been a a great friend to me a trusted advisor and confidant and uh i'm, I'm like I'm so excited for people to hear what we talked about today because um, there's some great, great stories, but I think some real nuggets um, that I don't know that I don't think you and I have ever discussed quite this way before. So we've uncovered some new ground. Thanks a lot, man.
1: We've only just begun too, dude. we could do another hour on it. But thank you for having me on. You know, I love you like a brother. So uh, thanks for having me.
0: You bet, man. Todd Capone is one of the most highly sought-after keynote speakers and sales workshop facilitators out there. He's also a world-class human being and someone I'm grateful to be able to call a friend. Learn more about him at his website, on LinkedIn, and if you want, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at The Sales Historian, where he has fun talking about what they were writing and talking about in sales 100 years ago and how it's not a whole lot different than what we're talking about today, even if we lost our way as a profession in the middle there. All those links will be in the show notes. So when you get to a safe spot, if you're driving or whatever, you can follow those links that are embedded there. And in next week's episode, I'm going to dig into transparency from my own point of view. This is something I'm very passionate about. In order to create the right environment, not just for yourself, but for the people on your team, you have to be willing to get vulnerable. And as I mentioned in this episode, I don't know if you caught it, but the best practices that are out there only work in the presence of truth and the more willing you are to establish truth in your your process in your environment in your relationships the better more consistent more repeatable results you're going to get and you really blow the lid off your own potential when you're ready to really tell the truth about everything that's around you. So thanks for being here with me today. I look forward to next week's episode as well as those in the future. And hey, if this is resonating with you, tell a friend, ask them to subscribe because I think I'm doing work here that is worth talking about. And I think it can help a lot of people if you're only willing to share it. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. Rethink the Way You Sell is a Pot About It production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson, with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajoric.